Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to Franchising in You, a production of Franchise Foundry. My name is Paul Segretta and I'm your host Saturday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time and 8.30 a.m. Central. If you're interested in learning more about owning your own business and considering franchising as the path to business ownership, then this podcast is right for you. If your interest is in expanding your portfolio of businesses and franchises, then you're in the right place. And of course, if you're a current business owner, exploring whether or not to franchise your business and franchising in you is also right for you. I'd like to thank last week's guest, Jeff Sieber uh, from FranFund, and Jeff helped dispel some of the myths surrounding franchise finance, along with sharing options available to candidates. That show, along with all segments of franchising in you, are available on demand on Block Talk Radio and soon on iTunes. Before we bring on today's guest, I'd like to remind you that Franchising in You is sponsored by Spadia Lignana, a national boutique franchise law firm representing franchisees and franchisors. The franchise attorneys at Spadia Lignana are sharp, experienced attorneys who understand business and the goals and aspirations of their clients. New franchisees need to understand the contracts and commitment they are making when joining a brand, including but not limited to the FDD, their entity, and their retail lease. Spadio Lignano will help walk franchisees through every step of the process. The firm also helps franchisors navigate myriad of federal and state regulations, keeping them on track to grow and support their franchisees. Speed, service, and diligence are the foundational traits you'll find in every one of the attorneys at Spadio Lignano. Learn more about this great franchise law firm at www.spadialaw.com. And today we'll hear from one of the partners at Spadia Lignana, as our special guest this morning is Tom Spadia. Tom spent more than 15 years in corporate and entrepreneurial positions before completing law school at Temple University's Beasley School of Law. His undergraduate degree is in finance from Marquette mm-hmm. University. He's a certified franchise executive, a non-legal designation earned from the International Franchise Association. He has also been named the Legal Eagle by Franchise Times, a distinguished award recognizing him as a leader among his peers in franchising. Tom is also the founding member of the Philadelphia Franchise Association and is the current president and chairman. Tom, thanks for being our guest this morning on Franchising and You. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to chat with you this morning. Yeah, it's... Um, it's been a while. Uh, I think you had uh, you were on um, my other podcast, Franchise Today, but it's been mm-hmm. a few, quite a few years. So it is good having you on here. And of course, we have a dis- different audience than than Franchise Today, which of course is more towards the franchise community. You know, franchising in you is specific to the individuals that are exploring franchising as a uh, potential for their own business ownership uh, aspirations and objectives. Before we dive into, um, you know, kind of the meat of today's program, let's start with learning a little bit about your, what I believe is a unique background as you started working with a franchisor and then decided to, um, a franchisor, and then decided to go towards franchise law. So give us a little bit of uh, some insight on uh, what you did yeah. and, uh, and why the change. Yeah, and I, so thanks. Obviously, uh, like I said, I appreciate being here, and um, you know, it is a good segue to our topic today because I really cut my teeth in, you know, the small business world and the franchising world 
um, helping people get into business and, and helping franchisees, not as a lawyer, but first as a, a business broker. Um, my family always had small businesses, so I sort of grew up in an entrepreneurial house, you know, um, and always was around business ownership from my grandfather to my father and then, and then myself. And then when I was in my late 20s, I became a business broker, and I would help people who were owning a restaurant, owning a manufacturing company, a distributorship, um, sell those businesses or people buy them. And that introduced me to franchising because what we did in our office was people would come in and want to buy a business, but maybe they couldn't afford it or it wasn't a good fit or it was too far for them. And I would show them franchising. So I started um, helping people and educating people about franchising. And this is, you know, over about 20 years ago. And so from there, um, I went to work for Rita's Italian Ice, as uh, some of you may know that on the East Coast here, and actually there's some stores now in Texas. They weren't at the time. It was about a 300-unit chain at the time I joined. Um, I was there for a number of years, ran franchise development and real estate, and built it up to about 550 stores when I left. So very proud of that. Joined the IFA, became a certified franchise executive, and all the while, um, I was attending night school at Temple University and earned my law degree. Um, so the person who really should be uh, most thanked for that is my wife and, and, and her patience with my two young kids at the time. Um, so that was, a, that was my journey towards franchise law. A lot of people become lawyers first, and then they go into business. I'm an odd duck. I was in business for 15 years, had a very successful career. I like to say I'm a retired franchise salesman. You know, the, uh, the good Catholic boy in me says, now I'm atoning for my sins, and I'm telling people all the secrets that I know <laughs> from being on the <laughs> – from being on the other side of the issue and started the law firm seven years ago. Um, you know, my, my other name partner, Josh Liana, he was my best friend in high school. We played football together and um, you know, we're, we're a dozen attorneys now. We sort of, I, I'd say our practice is split half franchisees, half franchisors, you know, we'll help people start a franchise system, but the real bread and butter of our practice and, and where we really start and built our reputation was helping people uh, evaluating a franchise, um, evaluating the FDD, all the stuff we'll talk about, you know, getting a lease and just that those baby steps into business ownership that, um, you know, they just need that kind of helping hand. And, uh, and we love doing it. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than helping someone really do something for their family and for themselves and, and striking out on their own. And, you know, I've been around enough to know that, you know, I really love franchising. I believe in it. There's certainly a lot of pitfalls, a lot of risk, but, um, but so far, you know, best invented system for getting into your own business for sure. That's a that's a very interesting perspective, and and probably the right way to to get into franchise law. Really seeing the uh, trials and tribulations of what franchisors go through working with franchise, you know, candidates and eventually franchisees, and then of course uh, getting involved in in franchise law because you know so many people don't really look at. Um, law when they're deciding to become an attorney and say, uh, you know, I want to be a franchise lawyer. It's usually some type of evolution that, that gets them there. Either they start out, you know, and say, I just want, you know, general business law, or I want, you know, to, to, to talk about, you know, to learn about intellectual property. And of course, some real aggressive people say, I want to be a litigator. Uh, but I really hardly hear about somebody saying, I want to be a franchise, you know, attorney. And I think it's because <laughs> They just don't, you know, understand that, you know, from the very beginning. And, of course, we both um, experienced this, you know, many times even with a franchisor, especially an emerging brand. 
uh, the attorney that they're working with is not a franchise attorney. He's just has a business practice, a business law practice, and, and really doesn't understand, you know, the, the potential minefield that's out there with respect to franchise law and proper disclosure and, uh, and registration states. And we're going to talk about a, a lot of that today. So let's take yeah. um, a step towards that. Okay. Yeah. And, and so a step easy. towards that is, as you, what I was going to mention just a step towards that, as you mentioned also, sure. you know, um, as you, as you think about the law, like many things in life, like consulting, like doctors, um, teaching, it's just our world has gotten so complex that things have just continued to narrow and specialize and narrow and focus and that, you know, it's why we have a national practice. I probably couldn't build a franchise practice just in Philadelphia, so we have clients all across the nation. And like many things, you know, you, 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 I saw sort of a need in the market, um, like a business owner that I am, and, uh, and, and felt that I could fill it by – by just really getting really good at something, you know, someone needs a divorce or medical malpractice, you know, that's not for me, but it has anything to do with franchising that, that that's where it is. So you prefer the, the law where you have a smile on your face. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. for sure. So Tom, in as easy to understand terms as possible uh, for our listening audience, what is a franchise disclosure document and why is it required? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a it's a real great foundational question that you know we we. It's basically you know you think of franchising and you go all the way back to those of you who are franchise nerds like me and you watch the founders and you think of, you know, uh, Ray Kroc selling those franchises back in the '50s, '60s when franchising was starting to come around. There was no real regulatory body. It was, you know, a one-page agreement that sounds all well and good and simple. Why do we need lawyers to complicate our life? But basically, um, information flow wasn't there, and people were getting taken advantage of. And a lot of the states kind of got involved and said, hey, we need to require these people who are taking money from our citizens and and sometimes just running out the door and not coming back, Um, you know, the bad apples kind of driving some of this regulatory stuff. We need to do something. So some of the New York, California, Illinois, some of the larger states started to require some more disclosures and that. And then the federal government got involved. Um, the Originally, it was called the Uniform Franchise Offering Circular, and now it's called the Franchise Disclosure Document. But basically, um, these regulations are set by the federal government. There's 23 items. And the way to think about it is it's information flow. It's the government says, hey, if you're the franchisor and you're offering this, you have more information than the franchisee. So we're going to require you to level that information playing field by giving them certain data points that we deem important so that they understand. An, a, an example or analogy would be in Philadelphia, we have a renter's disclosure document. So if I'm a property owner and I'm owning a and I want to rent it to somebody, I have to give them this pamphlet that the city puts together that explains about lead pain and exit signs and their rights as a tenant and all the things that the landlord may not voluntarily tell them, but they want to level that information playing field. But it's not the contract. You know, that example, the lease, that's the contract. Now, the FDD, back to that, those 23 items, anywhere 65, 70 pages of the front of that document is all that disclosure stuff. It's information, but it's not the contract. The contract is in the back. That's the franchise agreement. So when they sign the franchise agreement, that becomes, and 
I think that it's almost backwards, right? You should read the franchise agreement first, then the disclosure, because people sometimes run out of steam, and they think, oh, this is my FDD. Quite frankly, a lot of franchisors get it wrong. They think, oh, well, that's in my FDD. Um, it doesn't necessarily control. It's the franchise agreement is the commitment, is the binding contract the franchisee is signing. The disclosure document is just that, high-level disclosures. So that's what needs to be picked apart in concert with the um, that. So I also use the analogy that it's like a, a booster rocket, putting the business uh, into orbit. The FDD is that booster rocket. It's all that pre-information. But once you sign that franchise agreement, the FDD drops off and, and goes away, and now it's the franchise agreement that controls. So there's valuable information in there that franchisors are required to put in. It's not, quote, unquote, on the podcast, you can't hear my air quotes here, um, boilerplate, that they all look the same. That's just not true, and people say that, and maybe brokers or franchise salespeople say, oh, don't worry about it, it's just boilerplate. You know, it's not true. It's very specific and very granular about things the franchisor has to disclose, and they're real good data points for that candidate to use to evaluate whether that business is a good match for them. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> you mentioned boilerplate, and I could see those air quotes going up there. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we see in the, uh, in the franchise space at times – you know, some really ridiculous disclosure documents that are cut and paste. Um, yeah. So, you know, Problem. people really, both franchisors and franchisees, it always amazes me that people don't read the document that's going to eventually bind them um, in towards the franchise agreement. And of course, the franchisor too. Um, I had a, an issue not, I guess, a couple of years ago with a children's education franchise that was all enamored with everything that was done for his disclosure document. And of course, our work at Franchise Foundry, working with brands and working with candidates, uh, we read all the documents for the brands that we represent. And uh, I remember calling them up late on a Friday night. And said, why are you calling me so late? And I said, well, I know you're real proud of your, your document. I said, but where do you keep your pizza oven? And he said, what the heck are you talking about? I said, well, your pizza oven. He said, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. They said, well, on page such and such, there's reference to a pizza oven. So, you know, that to me obviously would be a warning sign if I was a candidate because if there's well, not that type of attention to detail, certainly it's not going to be well, attention I was just to detail the, to this system. You, you know what, Paul? You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say that what we, when we run into that, and we do, um, we always say that it's a data point, right? It's a, you know, one or two typos in an FDD. Look, these are long documents and they can get away from you um, are fine. But if you see things that are just, they just don't make sense and they just don't really line up to the business and they're talking about restaurants and pizza ovens and it's a healthcare franchise. Well, have they really thought this thing through or was the franchisor in such a rush and doesn't have attention to detail? Well, what's their training going to be like? What's their... Uh, operations manual is going to be like. What's their marketing going to be like? You know, are are this is a real window into how serious the franchisor takes themselves, and how I mean, you're investing a lot of money into this franchise. You know, there's kind of this covenant here that the franchisor has equally invested in their own infrastructure and done things the right way. So, um, so I agree. You know, it, and you see that it's crazy. We always like to say, look, we read enough of these things that we can. 
I mean, we get to the point that we know what the lawyers wrote them sometimes, right? And then you're like, okay, well, we know who did this, and you know, here's yeah. their culture. <laughs> it, it gives you it gives you a window into into the culture of the franchisor. And I also like to say, you know, as lawyers, we're similar to this kind of uh, podcast. We we take the approach of education. Look, everybody asks me, well, would you buy the franchise? Well, that's you know, not really the right question. It's not relevant. It's a it's a match. Are you going to put your heart and soul in that? You know, we, we've, we've picked our mission. You know, I, I know my calling as a franchise lawyer. This is what we do, and we think we do it well. Um, so that's not – we're not here to make a, a business judgment call over – I mean, quite frankly, I may not be a good franchisee, right? I ask too many questions, and I pick in stuff and all that. <laughs> that's not the role, right? It's, it's, it's data points. It's information. It's making a qualified, educated decision. Look, if the candidate – doesn't buy a business, they haven't accomplished their goal and they haven't moved forward. So it's not about whether they're going to probably buy something and get into business, either mom and pop, not franchising this franchise, that franchise. So let's evaluate and give them the tools. And that FDD is the best tool out there to understand the culture, the responsibilities, the details, and what you're really getting into. Yeah, we always uh, force, so to speak, uh, candidates we work with to read the franchise disclosure document. And the way we do that is we advise them to print it out, no matter how big it is, take a highlighter and a red pen and highlight everything they have a question about, a concern about, or even something that needs clarification in their mind. And of course, questions. Yeah, good idea. Take the red pen, mark it up in the, uh, in the margin, and then we do a review call and actually walk them through that that document because it is so important. You know, Tom, before we peel back the onion on the FDD, we're going to take a short break to recognize another one of our sponsors. Franchising and You is also sponsored by Retail Solutions. The real estate professionals at Retail Solutions help franchisees locate, negotiate for, and lease or purchase the retail space, building sites, or build pursuits best suitable for the new business venture. The goal is to have long-lasting relationships with their clients that are marathons, not sprints. They take pride in fulfilling their clients' expansion needs and strategies. The folks at Retail Solutions are really proud of their clients and want them to know that they'll be with them for the long haul. With Retail Solutions representing national and regional retail and franchise clients, wherever their business growth leads them. Retail Solutions is a member in several national professional organizations, including the International Franchise Association and the International Council of Shopping Centers. You can find Retail Solutions on the web at RetailSolutionsRE.com. Yeah, Tom, actually, I'm going to uh, jump into, uh, before we jump into the various sections of the FDD, you mentioned, you know, different states earlier. Please explain, you know, registration states uh, real quick from a yeah. candidate's perspective. And is there anything in particular that a candidate needs to be aware of if they're living or want to do business in those registration states? So, um, you know, it's, it's certainly much more important from the perspective of the franchisor. From a candidate's perspective, I think what they should recognize and why, I mean, I, you know, it goes without saying, obviously, my perspective, but I don't mean this just for me, but why a candidate just really needs their own attorney to walk them through this stuff is that, not only is there registration states, but there are laws specific in non-registration states that are in 
typically, well, usually, always go to the benefit of the franchisee. Here's an example. Um, so registration states very basically means that this franchise disclosure document that we talked about at the federal level, the 23 items, all this information, it's not actually reviewed by the federal government. The Federal Trade Commission says, here's what you need to put together. You put it together, the lawyer basically blesses it. I mean, I'm assuming that they have a franchise lawyer who writes the document, they put it out there, and that's it. If you're in a non-registration state, if you're in Pennsylvania, and there's a the new franchisor, no government agency has probably looked at that document. New York, Maryland, uh, Indiana, a number of states say, well, wait a second, we want to review it. So New York, you send it to the attorney general's office, they make comments, oh, boy, it drives us nuts, but you know, it's part of the process. <laughs> and we actually get approved, and they send, you, know, you go back and forth, you'll put an addendum in there, and you're approved for a year, and every year we have to refile this. So there's about 14 states that do this. There's a couple more that are called notice states. Um, Texas is an example. You just tell Texas, hey, I'm selling franchises. You tell them once in the life of your franchise, check the box kind of thing for lawyers. From a candidate's perspective, um, that's an analysis that they should do, God forbid, if they're having trouble or they're having a problem. Um, uh, New Jersey is a good example. New Jersey is a federal non, you know, it's a federal FDD. There's no registration. New Jersey state says we don't really have the budgets to be looking at these documents, so you just go ahead and sell them. However, if you're going to terminate a franchisee in our state, we don't care what your contract says. We're, you need to give these folks 60 days. And so it's very important that if you're a franchisee that you understand that there is a patchwork and quilt of state law that could protect you and augment you and override some of these terms in the franchise agreement. Not that you need to you know, write these down or memorize these or really get into it, and I wouldn't even do that analysis in buying a franchise. The only takeaway here is that you need someone experienced to know that um, you know, there may be some things that are beyond the contract that, uh, that can help you. So you know, it's state law and it's federal law. You know, that's the, the system that the Founding Fathers laid out, and I think it works pretty well. And, um, but, you know, you have to understand that it is there and it exists, and it's a, it's a two-step analysis always in the law. Tom, just clear up one question that comes up a lot, and even with a lot of franchisors. Talk about, you know, somebody that's, you know, living in uh, West Virginia, a non-registration state, but wants to do, or actually living in Virginia, but wants to do business in West Virginia. Are they in a registration state or not? So it really comes down to, um, we'll call it the, I don't know if it would be the, the lowest common denominator or the highest common denominator, but let's just say it's judged, in, it's judged against the franchisor. So if they live in a state where they're going to do business in a state, you have to comply with those registration states. So essentially, um, make it even worse. Two tough states, Virginia and Maryland. They live in Virginia, mm -hmm. and they're going to do a deal in Maryland. That franchisor needs to be registered in both states. You have to comply with both states um, where they live and where they're going to do it. And, you know, franchisors will say a workaround. Oh, well, you know, I know I live in Maryland, but I'm going to move to Florida. Look, if I know you live in Maryland um, – <laughs> Maryland laws are there designed to protect Maryland residents. So if you are a resident of Maryland, you are covered under those laws. So um, franchisor beware and, and franchisee beware, right? You know, once again, 
where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and look, I get it. I represent entrepreneurs where, you know, you, you, you want to get deals done, but you also should be concerned about a franchisor that just so flagrantly disregards a relatively simple process, which is registering, simple as a lawyer, right? It's not that difficult. It's a pain. It has to be done, but it's really not that difficult when you think of securities law or medical law or HIPAA violations, all this other stuff that the government regulates. Franchising is pretty light. It just has to be done. And any franchisor that's just going to ignore it and say, oh, we can work around, well, what else are they going to ignore? What else are they going to work around? To me, that's a red flag. You know, as we're talking about red flags, um, I wanted to go back to something you mentioned about, you know, before the UFOC, which obviously is before the FDD. And um, as you said, you know, there were some people that were taken advantage of, but there was also a lot of people that, you know, uh, obviously business was, you know, the way it was. I mean, if you saw the movie, The Founder, you saw, you know, um, Ray Kroc taking, you know, a contract out of his pocket and being able to have it signed right there at the table. And a lot of times it wasn't so much, you know, being taken advantage of. It's just, it was the way of doing business. It was almost a handshake. And a lot of people just didn't dive into the facts. And I love the fact that we can go through a franchise disclosure document and it basically tells the story. It, it works all the way through um, the different, you know, steps, the chronological steps, so to speak. And as you said, there's 23 items in the FDD, and it starts with, you know, item one talking about the franchisor, any parents, predecessors, affiliates, et cetera. It works into the business experience, talks about litigation and bankruptcy, all the way through to obligations, any public figures that are representing the firm. And then, of course, as you said, the franchise agreement uh, as an exhibit. And although the document, you know, is extremely important and should be reviewed in its entirety, you know, let's touch upon a couple of the sections and maybe take a little bit of a deeper dive into the sections that specifically address litigation, earnings, claims, and turnover. Because I think that, and many other franchise professionals, you know, feel those are really the the ones that will definitely put up all the the bells and whistles and red flags and smoke signals and, and everything else. So why don't we start with uh, litigation? Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, item three and item four is litigation and bankruptcy. And, and, you know, I don't get as concerned about bankruptcy that happens litigation. You know, I've heard my peers say, well, look, litigation is just an inevitable part of being a franchisor and I don't buy it. I'm sorry. I, uh, maybe it's an inevitable part of many franchise law practices because that's how they uh, they enjoy it, but I don't believe that it's an inevitability in franchising. I really don't. I mean, when you look, so if there's, you know, if you're a thousand unit chain, then maybe you're probably going to have a couple of scar tissue and a couple of learning curves and litigation in there. But if, you know, you're a 20 unit chain and you have three, four, five pieces of litigation, that's a problem. You know, that's a real problem. I want to know the backstory. I want to ask those questions. And once again, I never, I never think anything is necessarily a kill shot, but it's a really important data point. I totally agree with you. That's the first page as a candidate I flip open because no one's winning in litigation. Franchisor is not winning. Franchisee is not winning. And look, I've been around long enough, and I represent enough franchisors that there are 20 opportunities to stop 
that thing bubbling up to becoming a lawsuit from the franchisee. Um, so nobody wants to get involved in that. So why didn't they stop that? Now, was it just a, a second franchisee in the system and it was a really irrational person and it was a real trouble? And, you know, they started competing and so they sued them because they wouldn't take the sign down and then they countersued them for something and that got in there. You know what? I can deal with that. But if they just have this history of people complaining and wanting to get their franchise fees back and, you know, word frauds all over there, that's a problem. And, um, and those are questions that should be answered um, by the franchisor. <clears throat> and, you know, in a serious enough case, uh, those, are, uh, those are franchisors that you ought to stay away from. You know, in terms of litigation. But, uh, let me let me add, you know, something to that. You know, don't just if you're a candidate out there and you see that, don't just close the document and say, I'm not interested. Right. Find out. It's a data point. about it. Yeah, it's a data point. Find out about it. Get the the explanation, because oftentimes what you see in black and white in a few sentences um, can be explained. And, and the same thing with any point uh, in the document. But, you know, specifically about you know, litigation. Uh, there's usually a, a, a story behind it. Tell us about. And that's a, a what you want to find out, right? And you want to, and yeah. you also want to yeah. know, you know, you want to, you want to Google it too, because what they put in that document is only going to just be the tip of the iceberg. You know, you want to go through that and you want to ask those questions. And those are typically that's public a, documents. That's a very good point. Very good point to, uh, to Google it. So obviously a lot of franchisees, you know, or candidates want to know, you know, how much am I going to make? Uh, it's the number one question that's coming out there. I mean, I see it on, you know, inquiries. Uh, I'm interested in learning about your franchise and how much I could make. So we have item 19, which, of course, is financial performance uh, representation. Some people still refer to it as earnings claims. Tell us a little bit about that. So that's an opportunity for the franchisor to essentially tell their story by the numbers. You know, they're going to represent their history of earnings and revenue and maybe their cost structure. And it could be from corporate stores. It could be from an aggregate of all of their stores. And remember, you know, these things are looked at by consultants and lawyers and, we're tr and, and trying to put it in the best light forward and tell that story. But I also think that the franchisee candidate should recognize that there's no silver bullet and it is another data point. And in every system, there are winners, there are losers, and there are people in the middle. So, you know, I put, I think they, franchise candidates should put a lot of stock in it, but not so much stock in it because it still won't necessarily answer the question of how much money you're going to make. It might answer the question of how much money others made, but it still doesn't answer the question of how much money you're going to make. So the way the regulations work, is I like to say it's kind of the four corners of the document that the franchise salesperson can't talk to you about profits or earnings or you're going to make this so much money unless they're referenced it in the in the document um, and where that is referenced is going to be in item 19. So in item 19, they're going to be they're going to be um, they're going to break it down. They're going to have a chart. And, um, you know, there's a lot of ways they can cut it. And it actually goes back to um, our earlier discussion of the state regulations. A lot of the states are getting stricter and stricter on what they can disclose and what they can't disclose. So I think that 
that is a basis for you as a franchise candidate to create your own spreadsheet, create your own model, you know, talk with the Fran Fund guys and, and start getting a sense of how much money do you need to do this thing, and then use that to give yourself ranges of high and low, um, you're not, you know, not as a duplicate, and, and start to understand, well, how long is this? What's the history of this? What's the revenue? What's the basic business structure? But remember, you're not buying a job. You're not buying an existing business. You're buying a business plan for you to go start your own business. And so this is really a reference point. It's not necessarily the black and white carved in stone of what you'll do. You're not buying an annuity. You're buying a business plan and something to keep in mind when you look at item 19. Yeah, and something that uh, almost every candidate misses is the fact that they could ask for some backup to the item 19 and not just take it as yeah. black and white. And, uh, and a lot of times that will really, you know, paint a, uh, a clearer picture. And then of course, you know, the other thing of, of concern, and I'll, I'll touch real quick on what you talked about as far as, you know, talking with the guys at Fran Fund. And, and of course, uh, a lot of that goes back to item seven, initial investment. Um, make sure you read the footnotes. Don't just look at the at the chart, which is easy to do, and ignore those footnotes because a lot of times those footnotes are going to paint a clearer picture. I know recently mm-hmm. um, we had one where the, the the franchise candidate was talking about you know what his lease was going to be, and it says in this, and I know I'm going to be there um, you know within the range, but then in the footnotes it specifically said that the lease figure that was a reference above above did not take into effect any type of, of triple net. And that's a significant cost. So, um, you know, read, read the footnotes. And also, Tom, as we're talking about, and some of this has to do with litigation, and it could lead towards this turnover. Uh, talk about how that's yeah. important. I want to throw one more comment out when you said the word triple net. You're in the business. I'm in the business. If you work in corporate America and you've never signed a corporate lease, the last lease you signed was your college apartment, you may not even know what that <laughs> term means. And what it means True. is it means that you're paying the insurance and the taxes of the landlord. And not to do a story on what triple net is, if you read something and it's two little words like triple net and you don't know what that means, raise your <laughs> hand and ask a question. Because anytime there's a word that you don't mean, there could be jargon Industry jargon that guys like Paul, guys like Tom, we know this stuff, um, ask sure. um, because you don't want to go in not knowing. So, sorry, I just wanted to throw that out. No, there. no, no, um, no problem. That's a good point. We do that all too often. What's common to yeah, us? Yeah, it's easy. It's, you know, it's, it's hard, right? It's common to us, and people just gloss over it, and I'm not going to point it out. You're not going to point it out. <laughs> we really need the candidate to be engaged in the process to ask us questions. Look, that's what you're paying the professionals for. That we're there, we're a resource, but um, we can't answer a question that we've never been asked. Um, sure. Turnover. Item 20, list of people. Who's in there? To me, single most important piece of the FDD. Obviously, the franchise agreement, we're going to review that, all that, but from a research data point, it's the list of franchisees in the system and those that have left the system that are going to tell you more about that business and about that relationship and the folks and the culture and all the stuff that you need to learn to make your choice um, is going to be in that item 20. It's really the most important part of the FDD, in, in, my, in my opinion, my personal and, and professional opinion. 
You know, turnover is important. Why did people leave? And just like we talked about litigation, you know, red flag, but not a kill shot. Um, you know, if you have a lot of people, it depends on their business model. You know, if this is, they're not signing a lease and this is a service business and you're, I don't know, pick a, you know, sub hundred thousand dollar part-time business that, you know, profession, you know, retired professional stay-at-home moms, you know, young folks are getting into because it's not that expensive and they have a lot of turnover that might, you know, you should just go in and know that that is how that business works. And sometimes people get burned out and they get their dream job and they just kind of leave the business. Um, that happens. But if you have a lot of turnover and you find these people and you get them on the phone and they say, yeah, I, this was the worst decision I ever made and I lost a lot of money, believe it or not, not a kill shot either. You ask them, well, did you do what the franchisor said? Well, I never quit my job, but I really didn't think they meant that. Well, you know, that's a data point. You know, it's not one-sided. And, and as lawyers, we are trained to sort of look at things on both sides. It's not always the franchisee. It's not always the franchisor. It's quite frankly why we're a little unique. We represent both franchisees and franchisors because there's two sides to every story, and I need to understand both sides. So turnover is important. It's a data point. It's something you must, as a candidate, understand and look at who's in this system and who's left and talk to the franchisees in the system and the franchisees who've left the system. Even if the franchisor says, Oh, it's impossible to get a hold of these people. Just call my three best friends. Um, call the three best friends, but you know, call the three people randomly in the franchise agreement. And if they're near you, go get a cup of coffee with them. You're making a serious investment here dollar wise and emotion wise do your due diligence in your research. Absolutely good advice. As the end of today's show is quickly approaching, I'd like to recognize another one of our great sponsors, FranFund. Uh, FranFund partners with franchisees to get the financing they need to get the doors to their business open quicker and easier for crafting personalized forward-thinking funding strategies that help solidify the dreams of franchise ownership. FranFund positions franchisees for long-term success. And with its own in-house lending team, it takes security underwriting, FranFund is able to accelerate the funding process so clients can move forward even faster. Learn more about the personalized options that are available to you by visiting FranFund.com and get your free funding toolkit. And again, we're most thankful for our sponsors. You'll continue to learn from their expertise and advice. As my guest next week is Sherry Sanchez, a principal at Retail Solutions. We'll be discussing the importance of finding the right location for your franchise, how to do it, what to watch for in the process, and to Tom's point, we'll talk to her about triple net. Tom, but please leave our audience with some parting advice as they explore franchise opportunities. Well, you know, don't be intimidated by the process or these big documents. I think reading the FDD is uh, sounds like silly and simple advice, but it's important. Um, my my biggest parting advice, I said it, is 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 talk to franchisees in the system to learn about the culture. Um, and my final thoughts are, at some point, you just got to do it. You know, you, 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 you've dreamed about this, you've been looking at this, and you know you're not going to have all the information. You're going to have a lot of data points, and you're going to have a lot of information floating out there, and you're going to be able to connect most of the dots, but, you know, you're just not going to be able to connect all the dots. You're just not going to know how much money you're going to make. No matter what you think or that, there's still some ambiguity and there's still some risk. You never eliminate risk. You, um, you manage it. You understand it. 
and um, and you you know you put in some mechanisms so that if things don't go as planned, um, you know you can minimize those losses and get out of dodge. But it doesn't mean uh, that there's no risk. But that's okay because that's sort of capitalism. And if you're going to go in business, you have to just find experienced people around. You know, a franchise law firm. If it's not us, make sure they have franchise experience. A good CPA, good consultants, good bankers who get this stuff, and um, you know, and and just put a date on the calendar and say, I'm going to make my decision and, uh, and just do it. Don't be afraid. And um, it's exciting and it's fun. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You, you were going down this path, um, you know, talking with other franchisees, um, the due diligence they do, but you know, some of the due diligence that's not done by candidates is uh, um, that they can't get from other franchisees failed or, or those that left the system or current ones is the you factor. It's, it's what that franchise candidate that's right. is going to bring to the table. And that's a variable. And one of the reasons why we titled the show Franchising and You. It's, this is all about you. It's what you bring to the table, what's right for you, what your goals and objectives are, and what's right for you and your, and your family and your loved ones. Uh, Tom, I really appreciate you joining me today. Uh, I know our listeners, both live and, and on demand for years to come, will enjoy this. Uh, I'd also like to personally thank you for your sponsorship of Franchising and You. I truly believe this podcast and everything around it will grow to be an exceptional one-stop resource for individuals exploring what we refer to as a great thing called franchising. Uh, certainly your confidence and the confidence of other sponsors is greatly appreciated. Again, I thank you. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. And thank you for all you do for franchising. I appreciate that. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like to submit questions at any time, uh, please write to me at paul at franchisefoundry.com. Our goal is to answer as many questions as possible on the air, of course, as time permits. In any event, you can be assured we'll get you the answers or information you're looking for and as quickly as possible. Well, that's it for this week. I do thank you for including franchising in you as you explore the wonderful world of franchising and business ownership. As we say, dream it, wish it, do it. We're excited to be part of your quest towards franchise success. Have a great day.